Hey, everybody. I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Bill. Have you ever asked yourself, what is your superpower? Everyone has a superpower. Most people just don't know what it is. We're going to help you uncover This podcast is all about helping people figure out what their truly unique superpower is. Superpowers, what's yours? Hello and welcome to another podcast about superpowers. Uh, Max, so superpowers is not just what you're good at, your skill set. Everyone has a unique superpower. Over the next 30, 40 minutes, we're going to be discovering what your superpower is. I'm going to set this up. Uh, Max Snow is a very unique individual. Uh, most of us spend our early childhood, you know, trying to get good grades, be well-rounded, get into a good college. Max certainly did that. Uh, he got into Duke University. Uh, that, that is a single-digit uh, acceptance rate. It's, so incre- it's, it's an incredible milestone. Right? Incredible yeah. milestone. Yeah. Great so, school. Great school. So, Max, you are a freshman at Duke. Take it over. Freshman at Duke. Uh, at the time, I just started my what would be my digital business, where essentially we were... Uh, wait, wait, wait. So you're a freshman at Duke. Yes. You figured out where your dorm room is. You had a roommate. What do you mean? You know, you're trying to get your cloud. What do you mean yeah, your did business? Did you, like, go to the quad? Did you go to a f- basketball game or anything before the digital business thing came about? <laughs> I mean, I, I wish. I think, honestly, I was uh, accepted into Duke because of uh, the business I started in high school. Oh. Okay. I'm, we're going to just... Let's peel back. We're going to go back to high yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. Let's touch nice. on that if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, so I always, as a high school, I was very big into content. So film, TV, music. And it was always a matter of how do you get the film before everybody else Mm -hmm. and how do you get it for free and when I was in eighth grade uh to try and and get my way into screenings that originally was uh, a movie review website Mm -hmm. and when I became uh when I was 16 I went to a business program that uh Penn hosted over the summer Uh and I met a bunch of friends and we basically the idea was build a business and the business we built was a digital music business that used data from artists mm-hmm. to basically try and help artists get record deals. And instead of just this creative conversation, try and use numbers and predictive abilities to uh, give re- uh, artists uh, something else to talk about. It's almost like in the context of sports nowadays, there's more like analytical kids helping sports teams sort of money, I guess, money ball-ish. Exactly. But using data so, to tell yeah, a story. So you're basically money ball for music. That's right. That's, that's how it started. Okay. And uh, Bill did it again. He takes my brilliant idea, and, and you actually just make it a little bit better. Well, well done. Yeah, listen, I've made a career off of that. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so start start this music business, uh, and we this is back in 2014. Got it. So uh, this is when the world is just waking up to what data actually is. And at, in 2014, most people uh, either don't know what data is or don't have any protections on that data. So we would go to uh, music managers, record labels, uh, live ticketing companies, and we would just ask them for their consumer data. And we'd say, hey, uh, if you give us your data on this artist or your record label roster, we'll run it and let you know insights we find. And very quickly, we were able to build a database. Wait, stop. Yes. They gave Collaborate you, they, and listen. They actually <laughs> they gave you the data. Yes, yes. A record label. But, so, so I would say music, Bill, if, if you agree, is like generally the one vertical that I think is like the hardest, 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 hardest for many different reasons. Spotify figure it out. But most that touch music 
you die. You're in the grave. So you yeah. actually got record labels and managers to agree to this data pitch? Yeah. So basically, I mean, they wow. would give us access into I think artists. the key is you got to call and say, I am either a high school student, a teenager, or a college student right. looking to, you know, analyze some data. I, uh, I think if you're like a data, sci- like a data scientist at, at Google, they don't right. get the data. Right. But you're coming in with like your buddies with backpacks and they're yeah. like these dis- disarmed conversation. So anyway, so, so Max yeah. actually, you, so you got data that arguably nobody else on the planet has access to. But you somehow as a 17-year-old, 16-year-old got access to this data. Wait, by the way, when he smiles and does that grin, it's yeah. kind of like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> like yeah. it's like but his superpower it, might yeah. be his devilish yeah. grin. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's built a reputation for itself. Good, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh yeah. Okay, so you're 16, you know, most people are like under the bleachers, you know, smoking weed and and like hanging out. But you're getting data from Spotify and other places. Well, we're, we're getting data from record labels and managers who were giving us access to their, at the time, I mean, Spotify wasn't that big at the right. time. Yep. Uh, iTunes, if yep. uh, you want to call on a dinosaur that uh, was just recently deleted. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were actually getting all the sales data mm-hmm. from labels to uh, from uh, the iTunes history. Okay, so you got the data. What are you doing with the data now? So essentially, we were trying to figure out... Go a little closer to the thing. We were trying to figure out if uh, if Megan Trainer broke on YouTube, right? And we could watch how audiences responded to her music and how they were listening to it. Could we predict how another artist similar to Megan Trainer would respond? And could we figure out a career trajectory? Is this career going to last a song, or is it going to last multiple albums? Is it going to be a one-hit wonder? Exactly. Nice. And this is before, once again, streaming kind of changed the economy of how Mm -hmm. music was. It was really all sales-driven, social-driven, or live-driven. And I imagine, not knowing that much about that that industry, but I imagine there's a lot of risk prior to that as relates to, hey, we're going to give you your sign-on, you're going to have some level of agreement, Mm -hmm. but if if it turns into a one-hit wonder, or they go sideways, or it's a Milli Vanilli, or some other tragic artist you're you're out yeah you, you you lose money yes. right okay well music's music by the way chris chris has been wanting to say like, Millie Vanilli, say Millie Vanilli, like every podcast it's like i mean this is the first opportunity where it's logical to say Millie Vanilli. yeah Millie Vanilli. Millie Vanilli. it's beautiful <laughs> um, okay uh, yeah, I mean, we would we would essentially forecast how artists would perform uh, in this setting to try and help both artists get better deals for themselves as well as help labels uh, figure out better uh, ways to sign and, and what the right deal is to offer an artist. Mm. And uh, we were doing that for a year, but what we wanted to do was what better way than to prove it to labels as opposed to giving them the artist, not getting paid for the mm. insight and not making any money, Uh, through royalties onwards, our idea was, well, what if we create a distribution company, a music distribution company, and we release artists using our data-driven method? Okay. So So now you you turn into your own label in some respect as far as... Exactly. Identifying artists and then... Okay. And then being able to use the Totally normal behavior for that age. Yes. 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 Free concert tickets. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty good uh, to walk around Duke and say, uh, I have concerts tonight. I got a ticket tonight. You want to go? That works. That works. Um, It's almost as good as saying I start for the basketball team. No. Really? No, no there's no, no comparison. No, 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 no comparison no, no, no. at all. Yeah, no, yeah, don't yeah, even, yeah. don't ever ever try to yeah. do that again. Yeah, yeah, Max, yeah. Max, his nickname was Zion before <laughs> he even got there. Before, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, uh, yeah, so we started uh, we started our own uh, distribution company, um, and and this was right. By the way, who is we? 
Oh, it's just me. Yeah, it's me, it's <laughs> me and my corporate entity. Yeah. It's uh, two people at this point. But, yeah. By the way, the Wii, Wii thing is strong. That's, yeah, was, let's stay with basketball. That's hard to the hoop and draw the foul. Yes. It's like, we, whoa. And one. More, by the way, that's an N one. There's more of you? Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Run with Wii all cause, day cause, long. No, because in the back of my mind, he keeps saying Wii, and I was like, yeah. when, I met, like when I met Max, it was yeah. he. Yeah. Like, it was one. It was one right. person doing all this. Right. It was no we. But you're never, when you're on your own, you never go sort of first party, third party conversation. Like if you're, you never chat. Uh, when I, so when I went to this business program, yeah. they told me that it, whatever you say, always say we. Yeah. It just makes it sound bigger and makes it sound more official. And from that point, it's so, we. So for listeners out there that went to your state school for $60,000 uh, <laughs> discount, <laughs> you, you just, just, you're say done. <laughs> just say we. Just say we. And we. You, can, uh, you can thank me for that later. Just don't say we like on a date. Right. Oh, right. That's right. the yeah, one. Oper- yeah, 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 well, yeah, yeah. right. It's the one time it may right. not work. Right. That terrible context there. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. All right. So now, so so we are doing so, this. So so yeah. So this is around the time. So uh, to go back to college uh, real quick, I, I was missing a lot of school to pursue this business. And unlike the basketball players, uh, Duke doesn't give me days off. Uh, they penalize you for yeah. for missing school. Yeah. And towards the end, I got to ask you a question. I apologize for interrupting. Did you not do? You, did you kind of feel this was coming before you went to school to a point where it's like I'm not gonna I'm gonna defer or I'm gonna wait or it's a great question. Um, to be honest, yeah. I, I mean, I definitely I definitely approached school with with one foot in, one foot out. Um, uh, physically, I never had the same connection to my university that. Most Did you do have. it because of the this classic stigma of like you know make mom and dad happy or meant to do this or like I got into one of the best universities in the country I'd be crazy not to do it. Oh, you mean go go yeah. to Duke? Yeah. Oh, I, growing up. Why don't you just say I'm I'm out? I'm going to go do this. Oh, it wasn't an option. Um, you know, I, when I was when I was going from high school to college, you know, but it was developmentally it was it was the right place for the first year to be. You know, be outside mm-hmm. uh, of the home, live on my own, sure. be independent. Um, but at the end of the day, most people who go to university spend those four years trying to look for what they're going to do for the rest of their life. And, you know, that's where me and I would say the rest of the student body differed, where I walked onto campus knowing exactly what I wanted to do, uh, where I wanted to be, and how I wanted to spend my mm-hmm. time. Yep. Um, and so it was, it was a pretty clear path forward. Oh, I, can't, I can't wait to get Max's parents on a future podcast and be like, how do you feel about spending $60,000 for your son to cut class well, would, from would, day one? It would have been, yeah, more than that. And they would have just like sort of shown that the, the house that they were going to buy. And I mean, these are, you know, you may owe them an apology at some stage, but it's okay. Uh, absolutely. Whatever I, works. Absolutely. I mean, especially, I mean, you know, growing up through high school, I would uh, lose electronics privilege if I got under a 95 on a test. I was, I was literally conditioned to go to school. I think we got need it. to start thinking about occasionally having parents join the I, we have room at this table yeah this is something we'll talk <laughs> yeah. about okay yeah um so so you know towards the end of duke they it was really a, it was a, it was a hard decision where you know do i stay by the way they, but so just for our audience so the end of duke means what freshman year so okay uh, all right i just so, want to make sure spring of 2015 okay um, all right so uh so you know freshman year it was it was really a decision i had to make where do i spend the next three years with my peers uh going through school by the way what, what was your gpa the, that one year when you weren't going to classes. Well, I mean, I mean, between uh, underwater basket weaving, 
uh, regular basket weaving and documentary <laughs> film studies, I uh, had a pretty good average. Okay. Um, All right. So you did well, even though you were following bands around. Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I, w- I would say, like, the joke was uh, two weeks after school started, I, I went to the Toronto Film Festival. Bill, just pretend you're, you're just Bill and I here for yeah, a second. Yeah. We need to start shuffling papers at these things, kind of like they do on, like, Sports Center. that yeah. actually <laughs> makes it look like we actually have the data. Yeah. yeah. So oh, oh, like, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. So uh, started a started a, a record label out of uh, not out of Duke but literally leaving yep. Duke. Thought this is the best way to turn this insights business mm-hmm. into more of a tangible. Get some IP. Yep. All the boxes. Um, and so uh, we started going to artists, just like went to managers. And by the way, all of this was done by cold emails. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, what, as, to explain to the audience what a cold email is. So a cold email is when you write a email to a person you have never met or have never talked so, to. So the equivalent of like cold calling in the you know direct response, direct mm-hmm. you know telephone game. Yes, is, this is now cold email. Yes, and it requires you to guess their email if if you don't have their business card handy. Yeah, of course. So uh, in in college, what I would do is I would create these, these massive lists from, you na- name the company, you know, Daniel Eck from Spotify or Michael Rapino from Live Nation, uh, where I literally emailed both of them. Daniel Eck, I uh, looked at the email Sean Parker wrote to yeah. Daniel when he first wanted and to invest. And just used the same dot. Wrote the, yeah. you know, try to capture the passion and, you know, talk about, you know, really how you could use Spotify data to drive record deals. Yep. And Daniel Eck got back to me. Of course. And, you know, Michael Rapino got back to me. And, and it's been this trend where um, I do not see that if I don't know somebody or if an introduction hasn't been made, I don't see that as a, it's a, it's a red a no. light or right. a stop. I see it as it's a, it's an opportunity to put yourself out. There. But, so, but you have to be like a pretty good creative writer to get senior people who you've ne- never met before as a teenager to respond. It's a lot of practice. Uh, you know, I mean, at first it was it, 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 it was pretty savage. Uh, I yeah. would say that most of my emails uh, weren't responded to. Uh, you know, and, and it, it forced me to transform, if you will, how I write. Uh, you know, I went from writing long thoughts into four sentences. Yep. And how do you consolidate everything you would want to say over the phone into a couple sentences? Did you ever get past just the email superpower and, like, guess, like, social security or blood type or anything? Or did you just leave it at the ability? And what was the craziest email that you were able? Who had the craziest email uncrypt? Like, is that right? Cryptid? Cryptid email. What was the hardest one that you had to do? Honestly, Samsung. Samsung's emails are they're, they're pretty insane because they, they put their the periods in different places, okay. and you know you think it's a first name dot last name, but they throw you with a uh, corp. You remember right away. Boom. Yeah, Samsung. Right down. What, what's the craziest email you've ever written in a cold email? Um, you know, to the to the most outrageous person who responded right away. Um. The f- uh, you know, th- that's a good question. It, it, I, I, I hate saying it, but it, at this point, there's been so many incredible responses back from uh, extremely influential people where it, it's hard to point down just one. It would probably be Daniel Ack and yep. Spotify. Spotify. Um, and and, and do you, when you, I'm just so curious about this. Do you, like, what's the opening sentence? Is it like, hey. Hope all is well. Really? Yeah. If it's Monday, hope you had a good weekend. Really? Yeah. <laughs> 
and, please and, tell and, me and you keep... never did Happy Friday. <laughs> oh, you know I do Happy Friday. <laughs> no! Every Friday. No Happy Fridays. Oh, God. So, so, of course it's fucking happy. And, and so do you try to draw upon, hey, I was talking to X... You know, like what, like what how, how do you draw them in where it's not just because? By the way, when when someone sends me direct mail or I get a phone call, you know, and by the way, I'm getting spammed on my cell phone. I don't know about you guys, all the time now. It's gotten worse, and and they're great because the the number starts with my with my first six numbers, yeah, and then I go, oh, like wait, is this one of like my kids that like it's weird, you know? Mm-hmm. And anyway, so. And then emails. I get so many emails like, hey, Mr. Wise. So, and I, and I delete them all. Like, I actually delete so many. I delete ones of people I know sure. who are reaching out to me. So how are you getting through to people? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I, I wish I, I could say I had a 90% hit ratio. But I, I think, you know, one of the things that I try and do is I try and really understand from whoever I'm writing the email to, uh, what they do in their perspective in terms of how they're looking at my industry, a service like mine, and how they would work. And from there, uh, I really try and tell this narrative in a, in a way that would be different than from like other companies sending a cold sales email. Um, I try and tell a narrative that brings to life uh, my current operation. So at the time, if it's reaching out to uh, like Daniel Luck at Spotify, it's trying to reach out to say, okay, Spotify wants better relationships with artists. Mm-hmm. So how do you create better relationships with artists? You yeah. give them access to their own data. Mm-hmm. So I try and find an argument to be made, mm-hmm. whether or not they've had that argument. But what I always find to be the most successful thing is if I can find a conversation that, let's say, uh, a company is trying to uh, buy an AI company, or if you're McDonald's and you bought Dynamic Yield, right? that means that Burger King, Subway, and everybody else is now looking for They're paying AI. attention, right. Yeah. Exactly. And so I try and, I try and look at the context of uh, whatever vertical we're targeting and then tell a story based on uh, what their competitors are doing, what they're doing internally from what I was able to learn. And then also, most importantly, the unique factor that I believe uh, – my company would bring to the table. Okay. Um, All right. So we can do a whole podcast just on cold emails, yep, right? Yep. But we got to move forward here. Yep. So, so, so now you have access to all this data. What do you do with it? So, uh, so yeah. So what happens? Fast so, forward like a year. A year. So we're working. Essentially, we're sitting. We're, we we take this music data and we go to brands and we're saying, "Hey, brands, uh, do you have access? To, you're spending money sponsoring artists and." Uh, do you even know how connected your audience is to the audience or to the artist you're sponsoring? Can I ask you a question? So when you say brands, you're, you know, what's the, what's the exact example of brand? Is it like Skittles? Is it like, yeah, an example being like, is it like the Pepsi, Britney Spears? Exactly. Or like Samsung uh, partnering with Rihanna, right? Uh, Where Rihanna is the face of a Samsung campaign and wherever across her socials. Drake, Louis Vuitton. Yes. Exactly. Okay. okay. I, I, by the way, you like that idea. I, 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 I did not know that, yeah. but it makes sense. Yeah, well, you know. Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> and what was what was surprising is when we started doing that, that type of uh, cross audience uh, analysis and measurement wasn't happening. So you would go out, you would see AT and T give Taylor Swift tens of millions of dollars to do a sponsorship analysis based on Taylor Swift's audience size and reach, not necessarily about the propensity to buy AT&T products tied to Taylor Swift, or even if Taylor Swift's audience is an AT&T client. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe they're all Verizon, maybe they're too So much. give us like a, a, a specific example of something you executed on. 
Um, yeah, okay, so uh, Samsung's a good example. So looking at their uh, Rihanna sponsorship, we matched up music data to uh, Galaxy sales, mm -hmm. and we were able to identify in New York, Detroit, and Chicago, it was three markets mm -hmm. we were piloted in, that it was like under 25% of the Samsung audience at the time engaged with Rihanna. So the whole uh, sponsorship wasn't as valuable as uh, you know people initially thought. And was the data supplied or shared post Obviously, post-campaign to say, hey... Yeah, th this was done post-campaign. Okay. Uh, it was... But what's, what's an example of an artist that, like, a brand that you connected with one of your artists? Oh, okay. Um, let's see. What's it? Oh, uh, Postmates and, uh, and, and an artist we signed. His name's Adam Friedman. Okay. So uh, we were what like Postmates and Airbnb are great examples. So we were like one of the first, also off of cold emails. We cold emailed them, and, and Adam, this, uh, this unknown, unsigned artist, uh, was able to get uh, massive brand endorsements and a ton of brand synergy because we were the only team using Adam's listening data and tying it to brands. So we would go to Postmates and say, hey, did you know that Adam is engaging a million people across all of uh, Spotify, YouTube, wherever, mm -hmm. and 60% of them order food on your service? Are you, are you kind of scraping this data in sort of the traditional sense of like, I mean, it's pretty, is it, it's, it's public access, right? Uh, I'll, I'll actually, most uh, the when we started off, like the social data was public access, yeah. and then as we started to take the data and grow it, uh, we were able to go to bigger brands and, and get them to give us their data through a license. So the output of these use cases looking ahead could be you should spend less, mm -hmm. you should spend more, you or, should spend on that artist, yes. you shouldn't touch that artist. That's exactly right. Okay. And then figuring out not just if you should partner with Rihanna, but is Rihanna's Facebook more valuable than her Twitter, than yeah. her YouTube, and where should the partnership live? Okay, so you did that. What's next? So from there... <laughs> because, like, you're only in your sophomore year now. It's like... You know. Well, you know, I, I, not officially. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, the timeline of your... Oh, yeah, you're at, obviously, yeah. you're, you're not... At, you never made it to your sophomore year. Yeah. Yeah. So no, you retired. Right. I mean, you, During I, your sophomore year, you did this. You, you started your own label. You started connecting brands to the artists. Yes. Many of the artists were kind of the torso or the tail, right? It's not yes. Taylor Swift, Rihanna. It's whoever you just mentioned I never heard of before. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. Yes. Which, by the way... I think are always the best places to start any kind of business. Go mid and long tail. 100% That's agree. how you get your pilot. That's how you get your case study. If you try to go top, you're going to have long sales cycles. In, in any example, and you can't actually prove that it works. So whoever Adam Levine is, like, great. If you, if you can get somebody to be like, sure, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. you, all you're trying to do is validate uh, an idea. Oh, it was great. I mean, even even uh, like booking promotional. I mean, we would – so Adam, for an unsigned artist – played more national television spots than any other unsigned artist in, in history. I mean, we had him play The Bachelor. We had him do... I was on The Bachelor, by the way. You uh, were? Yeah, I, got, I had a nice little cameo in Bimini. Really? Oh, mm. yeah, they, they invited us out. It was great. Wow. Um, uh, this is fascinating. <laughs> this is fascinating. I, I feel like we need an hour for this guy. So... Eventually, you went past artists. Yes, yes. And you started going into what? So we, we went into the so the rest of the entertainment space. So the idea was we're, we, we were proving this out in music where we can identify early IP and use data to not only connect it to audience but do it for cheaper. Mm -hmm. So our thing was, well, if we look at, let's say, film and television, uh, could we do something similar starting at a script stage? Mm -hmm. So this is now... Probably around like let's say it's 2016, 20, like 2016 to 2017. So this is like your junior and senior year. Yeah, 
yeah. What well, would have been? Well, well, I, lo- yeah. I love how you keep bringing that back. <laughs> I keep bringing it after, back. After he retired. No, I, I see what you're doing, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah this would, Well, actually, this would be this would be. By the way, don't year. use the word cheaper. Go less expensive or, or something. Okay, less yeah, yeah, expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah oh, okay. so this is your sophomore, junior year. Uh, partially, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. So what we wanted to do was uh, never before has uh, actual data been used to package a film. And what's kind of crazy when you think about that is you're talking about multi-million dollar investments that are being done on IP, and there's no research that's being done. Like, the best case scenario that the film industry will do is there's, like, a... No, they, don't they grab, like, 30 people off the street they do ex- and they, they walk? Do, they, they do exit interviews, right? Yeah. Oh, that, that's after the film's been made. Right? Yeah. You're, this is... This is we're, talking, we're talking script stage. So if a Got script's it. looking for financing... You know, how does it source its money? And typically it's, you know, you have an agent, you pitch it to... Can I, can I try something? So, slight challenge. Yes. Um, well, not challenge. More, more is, it, how much of it is dependent on data versus it just it could just be the perfect actor. It could be seasonal. It could be a macro it was, economy I, thing. It could be something how people are feeling sad, I happy. Imagine, I imagine in a world where technology and data rule most decisions in most, in most verticals, the entertainment music space is driven by relationships. Yes. Everything Taylor Swift does becomes great. Yes. Uh, like, and just think about the actors, right? And actors go on, like, runs, mm-hmm. right? And they go on runs for 10, 20 years, some yeah. of them. Some of them go on runs for one or two years, mm-hmm. right? And I think the studios try to lock up the hottest artists yeah. and, and create and, and say, that sounds like a good idea if we put the right people right. in place. And, Will and, Smith. Right? Yeah. Yeah, Will Smith. Smith and you're good. If you're, uh, if if a if a you know a really renowned sales agent puts their name on a project, it just inflates you know the value, the potential mm-hmm. value of that IP, and that's where you have like festivals like Sundance, mm-hmm. Toronto. Yeah. They're they're major uh, uh, you know opportunities for independent film to sell, mm-hmm. right? But but the thing is, is that those decisions aren't data driven decisions. Those mm-hmm. acquisitions, those act. Yeah. Acquisitions. Acquisitions. Yep. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Acquisition. It's <laughs> acquisition decisions. Acqui- yeah. So you just made a, up a word, acquisitions. Acquisitions. <laughs> Sounds about right. Acquisitions. Acquisitions. Yeah. So these acquisitions are done based on whether or not these, uh, you know, these studio executives like the film, right? So and what, have, what did you do to disrupt this? Well, so what we looked at is essentially we tried to identify audience by, uh, you know, looking at, we, we were sitting on uh, the Pirate Bay's data set, so looking at all the piracy downloads. We were tying that to uh, uh, theatrical data, so, you know, tickets uh, in, uh, yep. how they were going to movies. And then we had the credit card data, so we were looking at all the rentals. So we're sitting on really this massive uh, database on how and what content people consume, and not just that, how they watch it. Um, a lot of times, because of its nature, uh, people throw away uh, piracy, right? But when you put it all together under one roof, you're really looking at the spectrum of engagement mm-hmm. yeah. from you know what someone's willing to steal versus what someone's willing to buy. Okay. And that could answer the question, essentially, what is this actor's worth to a project? So our best cases were when we would basically just take a book that you, know, you could buy on Amazon, buy on Barnes & Nobles, wherever, and... You got to just like kiss that thing. There you go. Oh, that's perfect. perfect. That's there you go. Oh, there you go. Um, so we would uh, we would look at uh, we would look at how people would buy the books and specifically what people would buy books, and then we would be able to figure out okay if it's this genre of book, it should go to Netflix, it should go to theaters, it should mm-hmm. go to TV. 
we could figure out who to cast in it and which acting combination would drive stronger strength. Data-driven Hollywood. So who who loves you in this scenario and who hates you? Like, so I'm thinking about the creative, the CAAs and the yeah, ICMs yeah. of the world. Like, who are people that are like, come on in, and who are the ones that are just like, oh, this guy. Like Ari Emanuel. Does Ari Emanuel love you or hate you? Well, so, you know, WME, we had, we had, a, pretty good, we had a pretty good relationship with. So uh, in 2017, I think we did every single, we provided them data on every single movie they took to market. And I was like 20 movies, and I think 17 or 18 of them sold, um, which was, you know, above, above average. And this is your junior year. Yeah, I, th- I think so. So you're basically selling data to Ari Emanuel. Well, it was film finance team. Yeah, yeah film yeah. finance team. And, you know, data-driven. Right. You know, that's running basically and Hollywood you know, And you, you know what you're missing? Sleeping in a tent to get tickets to see Coach K <laughs> in the rain. Like, you're not missing anything. Yeah. 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 Ooh, I know, I know, I know. No tenting for me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so, so now you've applied this. You've, you've expanded your data set through cold emails. Mm-hmm. You've expanded past music into entertainment, movies, TV. Yeah. How are you getting paid on all this stuff? Yeah, I, I mean, it would depend. I mean, I mean, sometimes we would just take a we. So our output would be an insights report. So uh, clients would just come pay us like a, a flat fee for yep. the report, uh, or in certain. So cases, just to give a sense, because most people are you know now paying like your parents would be paying, or you would take out a student loan to pay you know whatever it is sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars for college. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're no longer doing that. It, like a like a report for a movie, how much how much you get paid on? I mean, depending on the budget, I essentially made back what a year's tuition's worth in like one movie. In one movie, so one movie, one year tuition. Yeah. All right. You know that ROI doesn't seem bad. That's great. Math. Plus, plus, I mean, North Carolina is great, but I mean, New York City and Los Angeles just the yeah yeah yeah. Right, yeah right 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 yeah. Um, but uh, so so you know for, we and you know <clears throat> operate in entertainment for a couple of years and and, and work there and. You know, and then you know that's when uh, decided uh, to hold off on that operation solely because uh, we were hitting a bit of a ceiling. Can I ask you a question? At that time, what was your motivation? Right, everyone has different motivations. To they stepped in, they stepped in shit, and they wanted to fix it, or they lost somebody, or they want to. They're chasing, you know, maybe some monetary. What was your motivation around all of this? And free movies. <laughs> free concerts, free movies. I'm, ha- I'm happy with that answer. <laughs> so, so earlier this year, I had the pleasure of meeting Max for the first time. Um, and you know what? What's fascinating, if you think about this, at he such co- a, did he cold email you? He <laughs> no, actually. He, so his parents live next to my chairman, and so okay. my chairman was like, "You got to meet this kid, Max." And I was like, "Oh God, here, like, uh, <laughs> fine." I'm, you know, it's like yeah. a favor. Um, so I kind of blew him off for a couple months, um, and I met him, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. Right. So, so, but here's here's the other thing that I I find fascinating is if you think about this, he's he's done all of this during his quote unquote college years. Um, he also has the wherewithal, right? He's he's now you're because you're going to all the film festivals. Like famous people know who you are. You're interacting with famous people. You're making you know even if it's you know not millions of dollars, you're making. Like good money, um, and but then you have the wherewithal to say these are like one-off things. I can take the institutional knowledge I got. Let's stop this business. I can take the institutional knowledge I have, the data sets I have access to, and create a new business focused on something far greater than just music and entertainment. 
and and then but off the same principles but off the same principles and create annuity value long term value mm-hmm. and so that's when i met him is was he talked about all the success and i go like but you no. want to stop the success right right so so tell us what you're currently working on now yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, not to not to not give credit to Bill, but you know, before I met Bill, I didn't even know what ad tech was, and when he used mad tech in an email, I was like, "What, what, wow, are, you what, talking, is, yeah. what are you talking about?" Right, yeah, mad right. tech. <laughs> that is that is martech and ad tech combined. Combined. See what I did there? You did it again. You yeah. did it again, Bill. <laughs> By the way, I plagiarized that off of. Uh, actually, I got to give Matt Kaiser credit for that. Okay, he, that, he coined Mad Tech, but then I I made it popular. <laughs> okay, well, everyone provided value somewhere in the gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was there was a supply chain yeah. exit. So there was always a bit of a ceiling in terms of entertainment, both in terms of uh, how we could use the data, the limitations in terms of uh, working with clients, and and how well they knew data, and how and how they integrated data into their enterprise, and. Uh, with entertainment uh, across from music to TV to film, uh, they they're still in a process of growth mm-hmm. in being first being able to understand data, what it means. But it's also if you think about entertainment, it's an industry of people that have never owned their own first party data. Yep. TV data has always been in the you know it, it has always been with Comcast or yep. whoever set top box data. Yeah, exactly. Or with films and studios, studios don't own their own data. Because if it's out of home, it's uh, sales are happening through retailers. Yep. Retailers own that data, and uh, theaters don't get the ticket data. Right. So if you think about it, these are these are industries that are essentially like really at a start. And what I wanted to do was uh, find more of an industry where they're a bit of ahead. Mm-hmm. They have experience with data, and there's an opportunity to bring more of an advanced. Product. I just I, I just when you said that, and just a little bit through my career, it made total sense just thinking about the limitations of like who's on the other side. Like there's probably no data science working at Paramount or Sony. There's no one that knows what to do with it. So no matter how great the concept or the idea is, you still need someone on the other side to be able to do some level. I imagine when you started, you guys were doing a lot customization and, and and I, I imagine to scale this idea, who's on the other side to be like, I know what to do. I have a team. I can process it. We can work together. And just thinking about the entertainment space, that's not their that's not their DNA. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the concept of, of combining different data sets to understand human behavior, right? I mean, it's a it's almost minority report to them. You know, if you explain yeah, it as yeah, minority yeah. report, yeah. all By right. The way, they can make movies about it, but, no, no, but, no, they no. Can't, no. but they can't do it. No. So so it's great. You know, I mean, if only our, my clients were writers, right, right. then it would be. So a, now, you're, now you're like, you, you, you have something that you're passionate about that works, but now you're like, what are the applications and the verticals that can actually execute and run against exactly. this idea. So when I met Bill, I was sitting on a couple hundred terabytes of first-party data. Just a couple hundred terabytes. Just no, nothing major. Not t- are you, you're not sitting on that today. No, no. Okay. Okay. Right. Well, where'd they go? Oh. Where'd they go? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, Bill, Bill's been absolutely incredible. He's I, I need you to start plugging me as well. I mean, I think <laughs> you've already plugged Bill six times. And Max, I know we're getting to know each other, but just you can just throw out, and Chris, what you've done for me. <laughs> oh, it's, it's actually a... It's a in uh, Bill and Mai's contract, it's uh, any any public. You outing, have one of those too. <laughs> it's a uh, deal with the devil. It's ten or more, ten or more shout outs. Is, yeah, yeah. Uh, what we yeah. agreed on. You're up to like six. Um, okay, so 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 we meet and uh, and I and obviously your life is drastically altered from that from that encounter. Um, no, I'm only joking. So let's talk about Yobi Ventures, which is your new company. Yes. Um, talk about uh, you know. You cold emailed a certain someone who is a professor at Stanford. 
take take that story. Yeah. So um, right as we were finishing uh, up our our uh, career in entertainment, uh, and and the company was wrapping. Up I love that. Right so Max now. retired. I know. Max retired out of uh, out of entertainment <laughs> at the ripe old age of twenty one. Yeah. 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 So once once we finished up uh, the, the long career there. Yeah. Uh, which by the way has significant representation of my life if you mm-hmm. think about it. Sure. Um, but. Uh, it was it was a matter of how do we take the data we already have? How do we scale it to get a better understanding of uh, really collect more signals on human behavior? Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to do was uh, I really believe the best uh, data science and and machine learning talent isn't actually and this is controversial, especially on this podcast, yeah. but it's actually not ad tech. Mm-hmm. I really think the best AI talent comes from universities. Mm-hmm. And if you look at major mm-hmm. tech, specifically Facebook, Google, and Amazon, and Throne Apple. Uh, what has allowed them to succeed to the extent that they have succeeded outside of the data that they control is the fact that they have essentially partnered with almost every leading AI professor across the country. Mm, true story. You see Google, uh, like Google and Stanford. Uh, yeah, have to, about the talent. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and actually, just think about most unicorns were spawned out of a university, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Facebook, yep. right? Yep. Google. I mean, Google's the, the, the first yep. and best example. Yep. But yes. Yeah. So you're seeing this top-tier talent, and, and surprisingly, you don't really see professors working at ad tech. And so I cold emailed, there's like 50 professors, uh, everyone who doesn't have an affiliation. I even emailed the ones that did have an affiliation. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, within 10 minutes, this professor from Princeton, uh, an extremely well-renowned guy, gets like cited 18,000 times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, he, <laughs> he, uh, he got back to me in 10 minutes. Saying, "Listen, this is this is a, a, this is extremely interesting, um, and I'd love to learn more." Because uh, what compelled me about this professor and specifically all of his work is, rarely do you hear in ad tech people treat the data they're looking at as real people. Mm-hmm. They see it as an empirical yeah. data flow, and when you look at how ads are generally served, it's it's kind of this empirical. Uh, analysis. It's mm-hmm. like, did this person go to Ben and Jerry's? If yes, serve them these ice cream brands. Yeah. Yeah. Th- did this person do this? And it doesn't. It doesn't. There's no emotional human element, consumer element around it. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. and what what this professor has built his career on is essentially he he has a degree both in computer science and in psychology. And what he's doing is he's blending the two. He's adding a human element to computer science, but he's approaching human problems through computer science. Right. And what's so fascinating about that is is that you really don't see that happening throughout, let's say, the data companies that exist. Everything's raw segments. Everything is just direct deterministic match. But when it comes to forecasting and when it comes to really being able to predict, you don't have a model yet that's built around human behavior Mm -hmm. and human Mm decision-making. So what we're trying to do is using all of the data we have, and it's, it's a bit over a petabyte now, and we're capturing all signals from transactional signals to location signals to app usage signals, and the whole world of a consumer. I like to say it's very similar visibility to what major tech sits on. Or Russia. Or Russia, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or China. Um, but, uh, you know, we're using that data not necessarily to operate as a traditional ad tech company. We're not trying to sell this data raw. We're trying to learn from it. Mm-hmm. And specifically, we're, we're using all of this data to power a machine learning algorithm that would be able to accurately predict human behavior. Okay. And where we see a compelling opportunity is most companies that are out there, they just sit on transactional data or they just sit on mobile data or they just sit on TV data. We put it all under one roof. 
And what we're doing with it is we're, for the first time outside of major tech, we're really putting this big data set into the hands of capable AI and machine learning professors who would be able to uh, theoretically produce uh, a game-changing result. Okay, and then well, give me like a tangible example of now we understand people's behaviors better so we can... Well, so we, it's still early in production, sure. so, so okay. we don't have any tangible use cases. But the idea would... Say you're shopping at a grocery store, mm-hmm. right? The, the best example is any grocery store, you're competing with Amazon. Because Amazon has well, Whole Foods. Let's just say everyone's competing with Amazon. Everyone's competing with Amazon. Right. But yeah. in, in, in the grocery store... But actually, you're competing with Amazon, like, you know, without any data, without any insights. Yes. You know, you have brick and mortar. They don't, you know. Um, well, all of... You take the biggest grocery stain, uh, strain or chain in the country, right? Their entire business is one data stream mm-hmm. for Amazon. And when you look at capability, right, outside of being able to compete with Amazon's war chest of cash, yeah. they beat everybody with data. Because if you look at GDPR and the... Well, other- well, they don't have to predict human behavior. They know human purchase behavior. That's exactly right. But, but you know, I mean, these major tech companies uh, who have also had interest in the same people that are staffing our lab, yep. uh, they want them to do the same exact thing, which is forecasting human behavior mm-hmm. and own this uh, model first party. And if you think about it, what we want to do as a company is give other companies, everything that isn't Amazon, the opportunity to compete fair and also in a privacy-compliant way. We don't think that uh, it's necessarily smart, costly, or liable for every single company to become a big data company. How, how do you get the data today, and do consumers know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, most of our data is uh, it's, it's consumer consent. Uh, where we're getting explicit consent. So on the mobile side, uh, so they're getting SDKs a notification. Or... Yeah, they're, okay. and they're clicking on an app. And then from the other data sets, uh, like transactionally, it's written into the contract. Okay. Um, no, so, so, so the, yeah, and so the concept, as I understand it, is you, uh, you have, you're starting with a base of data. Yes. Which, you know, is, is taking purchase data, and it's hundreds of billions of dollars of purchase data, combining it with mobile data and app data, Combining it with music data, combining it with credit card data. So that's the that's the pool. Right. Then you go to each individual customer and say, "Give us your first party data. Yeah. We'll combine it with this huge pot of data we have, and we're going to take it to this lab uh, that's run by a renowned professor, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to predict human behavior for you." That's exactly right. And and the client or, or the partner rather they don't ever have to touch the data so that they can get the, the results of utilizing the data without the liability of managing the data. So you have advertiser okay. A who, you know, their marketing team doesn't have the technology and data DNA. They don't have PhDs. They don't have data scientists, mm-hmm. nor, nor should they, right? right? right. Not their core competency. So, so now if you're not big data, you can go to, to Max and Yobi and potentially get, you know, at, basically get data science as a service. That's exactly right. Okay. Um, and and where we see where we see it is there's this interesting opportunity with clients is where there's where companies are coming under fire in terms of uh, you know how they use and how they process data it gives uh, bigger corporate clients who run the risk of, of intense fines if mm-hmm. they let's say if they uh, uh, if they don't follow the GDPR soon uh, the reper- uh, repercussions of Uh, breaking the CCPA. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you look at these companies, we're basically enriching their data set and making it all actionable. Because, you know, where I think there's a general 
communication or misunderstanding in the spaces. It's, you know, our clients, our partners, they're not interested in the raw behavior data. Mm-hmm. In general, I mean, even insights off of it, it's yeah. it's like, it's great, you know, to present they want, maybe. They, they want the actual. result. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, yeah, they yeah. want to be able to take whatever, uh, I, whatever ID or whatever, uh, you know, addressable uh, identity we're holding against the segment, and they want to be able to put it in a DSP or a DMP and activate on it. Yeah. And, you know, what we have to do is essentially... We work on uh, figuring out what the right query is for whoever the client might be. Mm -hmm. And then from there, basically service them back these privacy compliant uh, these privacy compliance segments that they can activate off of. Mm-hmm. And the best part is, is that, that that includes multiple layers being, it includes a layer of converging and matching all these data sets. And then on top of it, you're getting that data science layer. So in all of the segments we're pushing out. So, so your goal is to democratize for everyone else what the big tech already has. Exactly. Which, which in essence, would create competition with the big tech. I really like the data science as a service. You like that, right? That's, you like data science. That's, I want to keep coming back there. So, 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 so Bill, Max. Bill, you always do a great, Bill, you always do a great job sort of taking, the, taking us through the journey and then connected it to superpowers. Are you yeah. going to I'm, I'm getting to that point. Okay. I'm getting okay. to that point. But just because I was doing the chronological, you know, so, Max, <laughs> how, you're, you're how, senior how, how, old are, how old are you now? Uh, my bar mitzvah is next weekend. <laughs> no, I'm I'm 23. Oh, you're 23. So okay, so this is like you're you're in grad school now, basically. Pretty much, I'm going for my MBA. Yeah. Okay, got it. Bill got Wise it. University. There, hey, I heard that's it's that's very expensive. Um, so so listen, I mean, I think the audience can agree we could listen to Max for hours, hours, um, and I hours. feel like there's a lot more stories that we didn't get access to that I have the uh, because I've known Max now for a bunch of months. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, but for all your listeners out there, uh, expect a cold email from Max at some point if, if you have any access to and, data. And also, stop being so lazy. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. work a little bit harder like Max. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And for all you college students, um, you know, you better be getting good grades or you should just quit. <laughs> Right and, and 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 pursue something that's uh, find your passion. Find your passion. Find your passion. Find your passion. All right. So uh, so fascinating. Uh, obviously, the goal cool of story. this is to get a little bit of your background to find out what your innate superpower is. I kind of have a sense of what his superpower is. Like I said, Bill, you do fantastic. You, you want to take a jab at this? I, I want. I want, I want you to take the first. Uh, listen, I, I have I have never heard anyone use the phrase cold email. His superpower is his ability through cold emails to elicit response. In essence, what he's doing is he's predicting human behavior with a four-sentence email to strangers. His superpower is the cold email. Agreed with the superpower being the cold email. I would also add, I think, through that cold email... Your ability to oh, I have ex- another one too. Your your ability to extract more information through this outreach to help sort of compile your puzzle mm-hmm. is what's what I'm kind of hearing is pretty interesting. You're you're basically using you're using all these all these sets of information to basically help you create your own your your own flow to understand if you're on the right track and how to potentially sell or monetize. So um, I'm going to combine those two things. The cold email, I think, is a skill set. I actually don't think it's your superpower. Okay. Yeah, that's a tactic. It's a tactic. It's a tactic. Here's what his superpower is. I, I have never seen someone be able to get business and interest the way Max has 
without an actual product yet, right? So his new business, Yobi, has not yet launched, yet he's talking to you know, Fortune 500 brands yeah. about ingesting the data. His superpower is he is the product. When he walks in or he sends you a cold email, he doesn't need a product because he is the product. I mean, what, what do we think about that's that? It, that, that? That's it. He is the product. And then I don't know if you saw the smile. Luckily, we have that on camera. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a little bit of like that's. Yeah, that was, that's that was the bar mitzvah smile. Yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Max, I agree with Bill, man. What a, what a great story in which we had more time. We'll hang out more, but pretty awesome journey um, so far. And it'll be fun to see, uh, see what this next chapter does for you, man. Thank you both. Yeah. Uh, All right. Really thank kind you. Words. Superpowers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.